Okay. All right. Okay. Mr. Jeff Thompson, I uh, let me do my techno checks, and I think we are live. Good evening. Hi, Alex. Part two, Mr. Jeff Thompson. We had so much fun the first time. We've come back for another for another go round. We stopped texting me now, Jeff, saying, Alex. Get, get me on. on. Please get, get me on. on again. Come on. I know. supposed to be friends. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Very good. Yeah, very good. Excellent. So it was actually um, frighteningly, it was five months ago since we spoke last time, which is like time has flown by. Wow. Actually. Is it really five months? Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, it, seems, it really seems like five minutes ago, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it's scary. Anyway, I'm super excited. Um, speaking about time going fast, I'm 37 um, this Saturday, believe it or not. I know it's hard yeah. to believe. Um, but I've had several conversations with guys this week alone um, who are starting to notice that time is also speeding up for them. Uh, someone mm. said to me, Jeff, years ago, they were like, Alex, when, when you hit 30, time will go faster and I was like shut the fuck up like time will never go faster than what it does now <laughs> but it really does but anyway I'm starting to kind of see these common patterns Jeff where guys are saying you know late 30s early 40s they start to to probably become more aware of their you know of, of their outcome yeah um, and they start to question a little bit more about purpose in life uh you know their meaning what they should be doing and they start yeah. to experience a bit of you know existential angst yeah. Some guys use that as a driver and some guys get really stuck in a rut because they can't see the purpose of doing anything. So yeah. if somebody comes to you, Jeff, and says, Jeff, I'm struggling. Like, what the fuck's the purpose of life? Why should I work hard, man? I'm here once. I'm here once only. Why should I do the work? Why should I improve myself? You know, what am I here for, man? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the entry-level inquiry, isn't it? That's when people come to me and say, I don't understand this or I'm angry at this or... Uh, you know, what's the purpose of that? What's the point of that? That's a great place to enter. That's the portal to enter. So everyone's got to find their own purpose. I mean, I can tell you what my purpose is, but everyone's got to find their own purpose. But that's a great place to enter because you're curious. You want to know something. And especially if you're in a position like you are or like me, where you want to share that with other people, you want to understand it to share it. Once you get that, once you get hold of that, that's a very powerful purpose to receive in order to share. In fact, the best way to get stuff, to get information, the best way to get knowledge, the best way to get learning is to find somebody that needs it more than you um, and ask for it, ask to receive it in order to share it. And you'll be given a seed of wisdom that you would have to develop and deepen, um, you know, and go into the kind of exegesis of it, into the explanation of it. Really, you know, sometimes, like for instance, I didn't understand fear when I was a kid. And I said, when I find the truth, I'm going to tell everybody. And that was me calling it down in order to share it. And I'm still unfolding that now. I'm 61 and still unfolding it. I went on the door when I was 32 to confront my fear of violence or my fear of the my own biologic biology um so if you if you really want to understand the, a great place to start is what the fuck is it all about what's the point of me getting out of bed in the morning what's the point of me making more money what's the point of me you know being kind what's the point in anything really especially if you're listening to the shit storm that is on the telly every night and on, on the radio and in the popular magazines you know because we're being fed hate and fear and violence 
20 murders before we even have our breakfast. So it gives you the impression that, you know, that it's a terrible world. But this is a living classroom, Alex. We are here to learn. If someone comes to your class with the purpose of building a physique, they don't come in and go, what the, what the fuck am I here for? What's my purpose? You know, and you don't say, I don't know what you're here for. But you both know why you're there because you are both aware that you're in a classroom. You're the expert. You're going to teach them how to build a physique. So if we expand that out from the, macro, from the microcosm of your gym to the macrocosm of the universe, we have the privilege of being in a body on the great earth, uh, this living classroom in order to develop, in order to grow a soul, in order to, in order to birth spirits. So when we're talking now and we're putting out spirit in a sonic form, so this will be hopefully inspirational to people, we are creating spirit in the world or creating a spirit in the world that will go out and that will live on the internet as an interview that people can pick up at four in the morning when they're cold and damp with sweat because they're depressed or because their money's running out. They're down to the last million. <laughs> as someone once said to me, uh, my friend is worried because he's down to his last million. That shows you the nature of money. But it's that sense of we're going to leave a spirit in the world and that's not because I want to make money or sell a book. I've got no interest in that. I've gone through all that, but I've got no interest in it because I can't take that with me. What I can do is I can create spirit and in creating spirit through my own mechanism, through my own soul, through this own portal or, or being the, the vehicle for it, I can leave spirit in the world um, so that it's there a long time after I've gone. I read a book recently, Alex. I, I asked a question and this book came to me. Um, and, and it was two thousand years old, and it was one of the, the uh, it was one of the disciples of Saint Paul. It's a very anonymous book that hardly anyone was ever read, and and it was like he'd written to me in answer to my question to personally tell me what he'd learned. Nearly two thousand years old, that spirit is still in the earth, in the world, because he created it, because he because he placed he placed his body and blood, he sacrificed his body and blood into the ink and it's still there now so someone can pick it up and go that's the answer to my question so the the bargain or the covenant the covenant is that we receive but we must share that's what we receive for so um the personification of evil in judaism is when we receive for ourselves alone that's what they call evil and what we receive uh, will be used and will die within this realm if we're, and what they say, the, the personification of good is when we receive in order to share. That, that's, a, that's a state, that's a mindset. So when someone says, what's my purpose and what's the point, that's a great line of inquiry. And I'm not going to tell them what the answer is because it will be different for them than it is for me because everybody's got their own blueprint. Everyone's got their own part of the big plan. So for me, if I've got that question, if it's a burning question, if it's making me, if I'm waking up depressed, if I've lost my reason to live and I don't know what I'm doing anymore, that for me is the is the entry level, um, the opening for study. I'm going to go and find out. I'm not just going to go and find out. I'm going to make notes as I do it and I'm going to write it down and I'm going to have the courage to tell people what I've learned. And then when I do that, when this, when God or the universe or our highest uh, element, the highest self, 
recognizes that we've fallen into alignment and want to serve other people, um, it will start bringing us an abundance of knowing. And that knowing can be used in the world, you know, to run a marathon or to build a business or, or you know, in my case, to build a soul. I'm, here to, I'm not here to build a business. I'm not here to leave a legacy. I hope everybody forgets me. I'm no interest in legacy. That's just a small ego saying I want to be remembered. I want to be eternal. I'm already eternal. So what I want to do is I just want to leave spirits in the world um, that should be forgotten. I should be forgotten. I sh- people should forget who I am because, you know, in the, in the space of time, that's going to happen anyway. And I don't want people to link it to me. I want Because I'm, I'm just a delivery man. I'm, I'm just the postman. So we don't need to remember who posted our letter. We just need to remember where it came from. So if they're out there thinking, what the fuck? Um, and, and if there's an arrogance there, and there is an arrogance when we say I'm 37, I don't know, maybe I've got another 40 years. Who knows? I might be yanked out of my kitchen this very afternoon. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So we have, there has to be an urgency to find this stuff, to learn this stuff, to serve, to be kind, to do good things in the world now. Because we can only do it through a physical body. We can only we can only grow it through a physical body. We can't do it when, we, when we're discarnate, when we're out of the body, we can no longer do it. And when we're out of the body, we will pray. We will wish for a chance to have a body again. Now is the time to do it. And if the purpose isn't, hasn't set in, let your purpose be finding a purpose. And there are, a lot, there are a lot of teachers that will run to you. You know, if you take one step towards them, they'll, they'll take 10 steps towards you because the only way the teachers can grow is by finding somebody to give their knowledge to. Because when I give my knowledge to you, Alex, it's not really my knowledge. I call it down. So what I give to you, I'm receiving at the same time as I'm giving it. I'm processing it in every cell of my body. So in order for me to grow, I need somebody to share with. I need somebody, I need to put it into a book or a talk or, or a one-to-one session with somebody. So good teachers, great teachers know that they're, they're, they are limited by the amount they serve. If I want to know more, I need to find somebody that's hungry to know more. And then I can learn it. And if it's in a complicated language, if it's in a religious language or if it's in a you know um, if it's in a technical language of psychology or something like that I'll try my best to bring it down so so it speaks to the man on the street so that the man on the street can understand it so something like the elephant and the twig that's that's a, an entry-level book for the man on the street so we can go I get that and that might lead him on to you know shapeshift or it might lead him on to warrior it might eventually lead him on to something like um you know, the divine CEO, which gets more and more esoteric. And hopefully those books will um, lead them on to other material outside of mine. Because if they're smart, they'll go, oh, this is really good. Where does Jeff get this from? And they'll go, oh, well, Jeff's gone through the philosophers. Where did the philosophers get it from? Oh, Jeff, the, the philosophers went through religion, went through faith. You look at Blake, look at Dante, uh, look at Milton. Look at the lyrics of Bob Dylan, the divine lyrics of Bob Dylan. Where did they get it from? All of them drew their material from mostly from the Old Testament um, and, you know, from the great biblical texts. So you go, let's go there. And the, the great biblical texts, we, we, you know, recognize you as someone that's come home and they will start to work with you 
at the level you want to work and they will um they will fill you um according to your capacity the more you get rid of needing to be um known and famous and uh profligate in the world the more you shrink your need to be noticed in the world uh, the more you will be given of this divine manner so our, we determine the capacity of we determine the, <clears throat> the quality and the capacity of what we receive. <clears throat> so, so it's a simple equation. If we want more God, we just need to make more room for him. This is why I've shrunk my life right the way down <clears throat> to a field in Stratford where I can just, I can get rid of everything and just, and, and failing every day, by the way, Alex, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect at this. I'm making mistakes every single day, you know. So, yeah, if they don't know why they're here, then the purpose is to find the purpose. And believe me, there is a powerful purpose and there are people around you now, some of them in bodies, some of them in corporeal, who want to teach you, who want to guide you. And the moment you introduce yourself with your inquiry, they will start to feed you what you're able to take. And then it will be much bigger than, uh, <clears throat> you know, getting another couple of zeros at the end of my top line. It'd be much bigger than getting more followers they're tiny, tiny little things. And they're important when you're in that realm, when you're in the animal realm, because you've got the vegetable realm, which is the masses, the kids that go to work every day and work for somebody else and, you know, uh, you know, work 50 hours a week and have a shag on a Friday and, and a beer at the weekend. And then you've got the animal realm, which is the entrepreneurs, the, the people that are going out there to build businesses. And the people who kind of get to the top end of that tip into the human realm. And in the human realm, it's where we start to go, okay, I can't fit any of this shit into my coffin. None of it's going to fit in there with me. My big house and my fancy car and my gold watches, this is going to be wasted in there. If anything fits in at all, what will fit in? Only the good things we've done, only the good deeds we've done, only the love we've given, only the kindness, you know, that we've put out into the world. So you start going, okay, let's just work on that. Let's start working out. So in the human realm, we go, we stop looking at what's in this for me, which is the world of the dead, the walking dead. Uh, and we start going, okay, what, what can I do to serve? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but you're, you're a divine satnav. You do know. Please show me how I can serve you. If I'm serving you, I'm serving everybody, including myself. So we start to give our free will over to our higher will, and then we start to be directed in the world. And then the, the amount of knowledge and the amount of information is staggering it's overwhelming is there a danger that we can ask too many questions and not do enough investigation so is is, is questioning a deep enough level of investigation or do we need to move quickly beyond that and start actively taking actions doing uh, learning that way like what what's the crossover because i know a lot of guys get stuck with that line of asking what the purpose of life is but that almost strikes the fear into them and they go back and retreat so like, how, yeah. how do we ask that and, and turn it into actual practical action? Well, ultimately, we've got we ultimately we you know we've got to do the work. That's what we're here for. You know, I, I always say to people, I'm not here to have a good time. It's not about fun for me. It's not about you know anything like that. It's just a. It's just I'm just here to learn and to develop. You know, and I, I treat everything like a classroom. And of course, when you do that, when you're in, when you're doing it for the right reasons, of course it's fun. Of course, it's there's a lot of joy in it. And of course, it's, you know, it's fantastically enlightening, but we have to do the work. You know, if, we, if we're standing there saying, 
I want to change the world, but we still can't change our own waste me- measurement. If we're saying that we want to change the world, but we're st- still accessing sexual pornography, and we, we haven't got control of our sensual body. If we say we want to control, we want to serve, but we're still unkind to our parents or to our friends, or we're still throwing slippers at the telly, then it's folly. You know, we, we've got to, first of all, get control of ourselves. We have five bodies here. You know, and they, they all need to be controlled. Each of these bodies has is its own realm, with its own sovereign, with its own rules. You know, like the, the 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 food body, the breath body, the mind body, the intellect body, and then the body of causal will, our actual willpower. We have to understand that. We have to get them into alignment. We have to take sovereignty over them, um, and then once we've done that, we can give our sovereignty or our will over to our higher power, which will introduce itself as you start to get aligned, but. It's no good, you know, I had a friend said he was very angry about Al-Qaeda and he wanted to take on Al-Qaeda. I said, you can't fucking settle an argument in your own front room. I said, you know, you, you can't settle an argument in your own head. But, it, but this idea of doing something grand, this idea of doing something Everest, you know, something massive out there is much easier. It's much easier. I call it difficult easy. It's difficult, but it's easy because we know we can do it. What is difficult is looking at the things in our own front room, looking at the things that reflect back at us from the mirror, looking at looking at the mirror of the people around us. You know, when we were shaking our fist at people, I spoke to somebody recently who said, um, uh, mentioned that his neighbours were shitty. And I said, well, your neighbours are a reflection of you. Of course they are. I said, when you're balanced, you won't have shitty neighbours. They just won't be there because there'd be nothing to cling to. There'd be nothing to bite on. I said, so your neighbors are a mirror. They're a reflection. Everything is. So we, we get ourselves right first. It's no good trying to help people out of a burning building if, we, if we've not got out ourselves. The idea of a body, uh, a body sattva is that it's somebody that escapes the burning building and goes back in again to help other people out if they want help. You know, we can't leave people out if they don't want to be led out. And we go in because that's part of our development. That's part of our service to God. We don't go in because we want a fee or because we want recognition or because we want letters after our name or because we want validation. We go in from pure compassion, from pure love, because we understand until everybody's free, nobody's free. Because everything is joined. Everything is connected. It's Indra's web. You know, everything is connected, like the cells of your body. I can kick a chair in my toe. Um, and it and in, and it will be felt by every cell in my body, even though they're disparate to my toe. You know, I will feel that I will feel that radiate through every single cell in my body. Just because they weren't, you know, they didn't initiate me kicking a chair in anger, doesn't mean that they won't feel it. Society is the same. What we think, what we say, what we do will have an effect, visible or invisible, on every aspect of the world. So we are all responsible for the murders and the rapes that go on in the world because we're all lad- we're all adding little tiny bits of shit to the uh, to the karmic fatberg every single day, and that will f- that will find its level. This is a self leveling universe that will find its level somewhere. So once you start to understand how much of an effect we have on this world, you start to be very careful about what you think. You're very careful about what you say, very careful about what you do, because not only is it going to affect everybody in the world, it's also going to, of course, it's going to come back to you 
first of all, you've got to process that shit in your body to every cell, that poison. Then you've got to give it out, and then you've got to expect it to return because it's a reciprocal universe. And if we don't believe it's a reciprocal universe, if we don't believe in karma, karma, there's a level of inquiry we need to look at. Because until we get that, we're never going to move forward. We might make money in the world. <clears throat> you know, we might, um, you know, we, we might be successful in the, in the physical world, but it won't do anything in the heavens. It won't do anything in the eternities. And we all know, if we're, if we're all, all of us know, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, that having three cars and having two houses and having, you know, three mortgages and, <clears throat> and, and being able to fly by helicopter, it's just all bullshit. We all know it is. <clears throat> we all quietly know that it, it is just a pain. You know, even just having a posh jag is a stress because, it, because, because everything you do to it, even if, even if you just polish it, costs £250. There's a huge responsibility when we start to accumulate. So once you recognise that all of this stuff not only do you grasp wanting it, but and you grasp not, you know, being afraid to let it go, um, and that creates you a lot of stress. At some point, you recognise that, and you go, "I want to get this watch off my arm, and I want to get rid of this posh car. I don't want to be noticed. I want to be invisible. I want to contract everything so that I can start working." So it's like if I went to your gym to work with you. And you say, okay, we're going to get rid of everything extraneous from your life. And we're just going to fucking go in and we're going to sit on the, on the burn and we're going to stay in the burn. And that's in the training and in the palate. You're going to make sure there's nothing extraneous in my diet, nothing extraneous in my life, nothing extraneous in that gymnasium. Um, and if I was going to go and compete, you know, and become a, like a, an international bodybuilder, I would have to take that. I would have to be even more finesse. I'd have to be even more refined. Well, spiritually, it's no different. Once we recognize that the material stuff, again, within that realm, it's all fine. It's good. You know, you, you have a bit of fun with it. You do stuff with it, but you soon get bored of it. You, you soon look at it and go, okay, I've got 15 Rolls Royces. So that ain't it. But it's good because I can see God from a Rolls Royce because I sit in it and go, well, this fucking isn't it. This definitely isn't it. This is just a pain. This is just a nuisance. I'm scared to leave this outside my house in case somebody scratches it. I'm scared to drive down the street in case somebody wants to kidnap my children. You know, it, all of that stuff just creates more problems for us. And again, I don't want to put people off if they're, if they're, if they're pursuing business because I did that myself. But there comes a point where it is fucking so refreshing to just drop those coats, get rid of those and start work. To me, it's a bit like someone going in the gym and working for four hours and, and never really hitting the burn. Whereas a good guy will go in there for 30 minutes and he'll be on his knees when he comes out because he's going to go straight into the nervous system. So we can, if we're really honest, we can look at that and start working. And if we don't understand it, we can start making inquiries. We can pick up the books. We can listen to the podcasts. We can Go and see the gurus, which is one of the things I like about you. You put yourself in front of people and you say, where, where am I going wrong? What can I work on? Look at me, Jeff. You know, where is their ostentation? You know, where, where, is, you know, where, where are the fatty edges? What, what is it that I can't see? And then because we've got a relationship and, 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 I, and you've given me permission, I will see. I'm a seer. So I'll look at you and I go, well, this is what I see. No judgment. I'll just say, this is what I see. And this is what you can remove. Same as if I came to you and I said, 
I want a physique. You go, okay, take your shirt off. Let's have a look here. Write your diet out. Let's have a look at that. Okay, these are all the things you can remove. You're not training anywhere near hard enough. You're not doing the work. You know, you're, you're, you're flirting with the, with the burn. You're not going anywhere near it, really. You know, I want you to be in the burn all the time. So the great thing about you is you've got reference points. So you can use exactly that, that exact process in the spiritual realm to, if you can't see it, you ask somebody. Even if you just go into your meditation and just say, uh, please show me things as they are. I'm a bit stuck. I'm not quite sure what it is I'm looking at. I'm not quite sure what it is I'm not seeing. Um, and this energy will show you where there's any kind of idolatry in your life. You know, for me, it will say, oh, you're still craving for validation. You're still craving for awards. You're, you're still hurt because somebody isn't ringing you back about a book or, you know, you're still invested in the world. You know, you, you're, you're taking our instruction, but you're not, you're listening to our instruction, but you're not taking it fully. So I will get the advice and it will be very kind of harsh. You know, you've got fat sides. So this is what you can do to work on it. And, and ultimately, that's what we need if we're going to grow. So if people are in a position, especially if they're uncomfortable, that is a great place to start. That is the entry point. There is a portal there that will take you straight inwards. So two two things off the back. Firstly, you're on absolute fire tonight, Jeff Thompson. I've got to say, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm trying to hide my excitement without smiling at what you're saying. I think it's fantastic. Uh, secondly, I, I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, and two parts to this. When you say karma, I, I, I think of it as something that you will have to deal with once this life is over. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on that. If that if that's true and somebody says, well, look, before I was born, you know, I knew nothing of this world. I didn't feel anything. I wasn't aware of anything. When I die, I assume that I'm going to feel exactly the same. Like, What would your answer to, to that be? Therefore, a justification for, well, I can do what I want in this fucking life because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I say the same thing, really. Just, first of all, make inquiry into karma, cause and effect. You know, it's Newton's third law. You know, what goes out comes back. It's an equal and opposite return. Do the rigor on it <clears throat> and look closely at the life, your own life and the lives around you. I'm lucky because I've done a lot of bad things. <clears throat> it's unfortunate, but I saw the karma of that return. I worked with a lot of criminals and I worked with a lot of gangsters and I watched them living their karma. Even when one of our friends got away with high-level drug dealing for 20 years and people said there is no karma because he's getting away with it, I said, listen, it's only halfway through the tax year. <clears throat> the, books <haven't> been <clears throat> excuse me, the books haven't been called in yet. I said, at some point, everybody has to put their books in and then, and, and then the, we see whether it tallies. But I watched this guy. I, I watched lots of friends, but this guy particularly. And people said he's getting away with it, but he was six stone overweight. He was grossly overweight. He was massively uncomfortable. His wife was on Valium. His friends were afraid of him. He was having to hide his wealth because it was all illicit. His door was being kicked in um, by the police every two weeks. He couldn't shit without somebody taking photographs of him. His, he was living his karma. He was living it there and then. He, he, was, in, he was in like the hell reigns <clears throat> realms all the time. So he's already living it. <clears throat> I've been out of my body, Alex. So I already know that there is a reality beyond the physical body. I was taken out of my body when I was awake and I was taken into another realm, into another level of teaching and I was placed in front of a, in front of a teacher and I listened to a lecture from him. Um, so I already know, you know whether people remember their past or whether people 
think there's an afterlife or not. I know there is. I'm certain because I've been outside of the body. I've been outside of the body several times, but I was out. This one was was when I was wide awake and I was literally taken out of my body and taken to this teacher. So I I already know um, that there is stuff beyond the physical body, but I also understand karma because I was in so much pain because of the because of how um, violent I was. <clears throat> And how abusive I was in my own life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I, when I started to work on myself and started to decide, decided to clean myself up, had to atone for all that. And I was absolutely in agony. I was on my knees. I was close to insanity at times. And it was only because I had an invisible means of support that I got through it. So um, I know that nobody escapes it. I don't ask people to believe me. I just say to them, just do a bit of rigor in your own life, in the life of the people around you. Do some rigor, do some study. Don't take yes for an answer. Do the rigor and you will see how not, not just that um, karma is real and karma just basically means action that has, a, has an equal and opposite reaction. So when we think or say and say or do, it creates a cause in the world and that cause creates an effect and that effect will become its own cause and create another effect ad infinitum. We do that every single time we act. Once you get it, you become very afraid of doing the wrong thing, not only because you know it's hurting other people, but because you know it's going to come back to you. I know from experience, because I had 10 years of, um, of atonement, 10 years of excruciating physical pain, psychological pain, spiritual pain. I was even shown a vision of my soul when I wasn't listening, when I wasn't heeding, I was shown a vision of my soul and I was shown what we do to our soul when we access pornography, violent pornography, sexual pornography. Any kind of vice is, is torture to the soul. I was, I was given a vision of that. So I have no doubt at all, but I don't want people to believe me. I want them to do the rigor and find out for themselves. What, what, is, it, what is not understood in this realm in the esoteric realm, it's completely understood. In the esoteric realm, they say that until you, until you can acknowledge karma, you can't begin to work. You can't because you're always going one step forward and two steps back because you're constantly thinking and saying and doing things that are creating negative cause in the world that keep coming back to you. So we get stuck in our business or we get stuck in our relationship or we get stuck in our emotional and physical and mental health because we are constantly create, creating causes that we deny creating. And when the effects come to us, we think, it's the, the, uh, the, we think it's a random universe, an unkind universe, an unkind God. We don't recognize that we're contributing to the fatberg of karma with everything we do. So it's recognizing esoteric realms and that until you, until you know that, until you're certain about that, you can't begin to work. How can you move forward if your actions keep moving you back? How can you how can you contract when you how can you get rid of the parasite of negativity when you keep feeding it with negative karma? Most people don't want to acknowledge it because people do really know, but they don't want to acknowledge it because to acknowledge it will to will be to accept that there is a shitstorm in the world and that they're part cause of it. And if we're part cause of it, we're we're all the cause of it. So it's very difficult to accept karma because people are going to go, oh fucking hell, what did I do? yesterday what did it do five years ago what did it do 10 years ago 
if they if they accept karma, what do I, what am I doing to my wife? You know, how am I treating my wife? How am I treating my husband? How am I treating my friends? How am I treating the strangers in the street? You know, how am I how 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 am I uh, treating them when I'm unkind, when I'm judgmental, when I've got unqualified opinions about them? Once you to accept karma is to take on the responsibility of the whole world, and that's what we must do. This is what it's, this is what Zoroastra says, you know, that uh, we have to take full responsibility for everything we think and say and do because it is going to have an effect. And again, if, if people don't believe me, that's okay. I'm certain of it. And that's why I live my life the way I do. But because I've lived in extremis and because I've been curious, I've seen the effect of karma in my life and I've seen how my karma has affected my, my ex-wife, my children, my mum and dad, my friends. I have to see my adult children walking through the world with schemas and wounds because of how I, because of how I lived when I was young and stupid. I'm helping my kids work through their traumas now and their traumas that I left them because I had affairs, because I was a criminal, because I was a, not violent to them, but I was violent in the world and that creates karma for them as well. They were in the proximity of a violent man. Now they love me and they probably take a back to anybody that said their dad wasn't lovely, but I know I wasn't a good dad and I know, I, I know I've wounded them with, with how I've lived and I'm trying to make amends for that now. If we don't see that, we can't, we can't work beyond what we're doing now. We might have lots of money, but we'll still be fucking very unhappy. We might want to try and get lots of money in the bank for security, but that, that's, to that's not to even recognize that there's no security in this world. And if we don't recognize it, then we're going to continually build up negative karma for ourselves. That at some point, you know, the books are going to be called in, the black pebbles are going to be weighed against the white pebbles. That's happening while we're alive now. That's happening every single day. If you go beyond the um, the facade of the news, you'll see karma being acted out on the most powerful people in the world. Nobody escapes it. Nobody. Whether you're uh, rich or poor, whether you're royalty or whether you're you know a civil servant, nobody es escapes it. This this uh, law is forensic, and that's exciting, Alex. It's exciting because you're going to go, right, fucking hell, that's how it works. Right, well, who can I serve? Who can I help? Then we become keen to learn in order to help. We become keen to create good karma. And every time we do that, every time we sacrifice our um, blood and our flesh, our body and our blood on the crucifixion of service for other people, we, we not only create a spirit in the world, but we also diminish our negative karma. It gets burnt up in the volition of the work. That's what the Eucharist is about in the Christian church. That's what the crucifixion is about. That's what the cross means. When you look at the cross, you look at the cross, it's just a symbol. It's a symbol of the, of the, two, of the two powers of negativity and positivity being joined together in the central column to create a light. This is the light above. So this is what they call being Christed. And when we are Christed, when we sacrifice our body and our flesh, our body and our blood in the service of other people, we become Christed. And when we're Christed, it means to be magnified by a thousand times. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of uh, if we've got negative karma, we can burn it up in the service of other people.
There you go. I'm getting tangled up in the cross. <laughs> so, th- does that answer the, the the first question that I mentioned? Though, when, when we're talking about purpose and even on a basic level goals, like you've already mentioned, like everyone's got plenty of things to do, right? Plen- you know, we know where to put our attention, and it should yeah. be on us rather than the external goals that that we're chasing. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Is that it, would yeah. that be enough purpose to do the yeah. work on yourself? Just work on yourself. Look at the, you know. Just do it as, as you would. If, you, if I come into your gym and I said I want to build a fantastic physique, you'd say, take your shirt off and show me your diet. So if people want to work spiritually, we do the same spiritually. We say, okay, where am I fat in my life? Where am I unkind? You know, have I got control of my physical body? Have I got control of my breath or am I filling it with cigarette smoke? Have I got control of my palate or am I eating and drinking loads of negativity on the television? Because what we eat, what we watch, what we hear, you know, what, everything we take in through the senses, every single thing is food. It becomes flesh and blood. So have I got control of that? Have I got, am I, have I got control of my mind body? Have I got, am I expanding and learning? Am I uh, expanding my mind and learning? Have I got control of my intellect? The intellect is the working arm of the soul. So the intellect is this ability to be able to discern between what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. It's, a, it's an ability to look at the world and do the study and go, is karma real? Is cause and effect real? Can I, can I learn that? Because if we learn just that one thing, if we learn just that one thing about understanding karma and then control ourselves so that we can, we can um, be a cause for good, then automatically what we, what we bind here will be bound in heaven and what we lose here will be loosed in heaven, to quote the Christ. So it means that what we have, what we do doesn't just have an effect on this physical world. It goes beyond karma. It goes beyond cause and effect. It goes into another realm, beyond this earth realm. And I know people think that this is all there is, but there is, you know, there's a million more things other than this. And once you start to let go of, once you start to let go of the addiction with the world, you start to explore that and you start to, you start to see it. So it all, all of it is just about working on yourself. And maybe part of working on yourself is, is helping other people. Maybe, you know, but it's no good as helping other people um, if, if, you know, we haven't got ourselves right. You know what I mean? If, if I come to you to build a physique and you as a big fat guy, I know you can't help me with it because you're not living proof of it. I want, I want to see somebody that's done it. I want to see somebody that's the proof of it. I, want, so I, want to, I need intellectual proof that it's possible. And I want to be with somebody that's, living what they're teaching so yeah just it's all about just working on yourself but start with the fundamentals you know if you look at um aesop's fables it's no good it's no good the turtle trying to fly while it still can't walk on the earth let's get the fundamentals right you know let's get our physical you know we want to do the magical but we're struggling with the mundane you know we want to understand the the mysteries but we but we you know, we don't even understand the stuff that's in front of us every single day. We don't understand where we're being tricked out of our attention, where we're losing our attention, you know, where, we, where we're being, you know, tripped up. You know, most people haven't got any idea what's going on in their world at all. So it comes back to the same thing, causation. We're, our fifth body, the one before the soul, is they call it the body of conscious will. Um, it's the bliss body. 
um, it's they call it the causal body. So this is this is the body that we exercise. It's literally a you know if you see if you see diagrams of the five bodies, they're literally like ethereal bodies around the physical body. When we when we use the physic when we use the causal body to cause good things in the world, and to uh, you know to cause good things in our own body, we are exercising our will. When we get up in the morning, you know, to meditate. When we eat healthy. When we when we um, control our tongue so we don't say unkind things, when we control the thinking so that we don't engage unkind things, that is exercising the causal body. So once we exercise the causal body, we start to really feed the soul. And once once we are stable in that, you know, a bit like again in the gym, if someone's working with you and, and they're stable on 220 on the bench and they're pushing five and six reps and they're, and, and they're holding it, you start sliding a few more discs on for them. And the harder they work and the more they do it, the more likely you are to put a little bit more weight on or maybe even strip the weight away and, and just become even stricter. But you see what I'm saying? These forces, the moment we start to improve, they'll slide discs on the bar. They start to help us to grow. So causation is the most important thing. Um, and if this magic is real, which it is, for me, this is, you know, you're asking me and from my experience, first, the first thing we have to do is we have to prove it on our own body. One of my friends said to me, uh, I was telling my wife about the magical universe and about how we can create whatever we want to create. And, you know, you know, I was telling her about that. We have the ability to manifest. And she, she just thinks it's all bullshit. She doesn't believe me. And I said, yeah, but that's because you're six stone overweight. You've got an addiction to cigarettes and you drink too much. She doesn't believe you because you don't believe you because you're not proving it even on your physical body. You're talking about mysteries and you can't even you can't even see that your physical body needs to be looked at. And he goes, I'm not. He says, I put this weight on deliberately. I need this weight. I work in a bar. So I, I need to be big. He wasn't big. He was a beast. And it wasn't I wasn't being unkind or judgmental. I was teaching him. I was saying you need if you you if you believe this stuff is real, you need to prove it first of all on your own physical body. And that's that's the starting point. It's so basic and so obvious that it's almost insulting. But the truth always is, when I went on the door, I'd work with I'd work with the monsters of martial arts, but they were all lying. They were I say they were lying, but they weren't lying, but they weren't telling the truth. That in other words, it wasn't that they were lying, they just didn't know the truth. But when I went on the door, the environment said, Oh, here's Jeff Thompson. The egregore of the environment says, here's Jeff Thompson. He wants to know what's real. So first of all, we have to get rid of his hierarchy. We have to get rid of his system. We have to get rid of what he thinks he knows, and then we'll show him what's real. And what was real was so potent and so obvious that it was fucking insulting. And, I, you know, I started to teach it and put it out into the world. I got banned from a small city in, on the West Coast. Uh, I, I was brought up in Parliament as a thug, but I wanted, they wanted the pilot, an MP wanted to ban me. <clears throat> I was pilloried by the martial arts elite. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I became this figure of hate <clears throat> to people because not only did they not want to hear the truth, they were absolutely offended by the truth. Because I was saying to them, you're a six-figure company, <clears throat> you're a seven-figure company, the art you've been training in for 20 years, 30 years, it's not going to work outside the chip shop on a Friday night. And it's so obvious that you know it. And people were violent with me because they didn't want to hear it. 
But I said, I'm not doing it to have a go at you. I'm just saying to you, you're not secure in what you've got. I want to show you what's real. And I've got proof because I've done it hundreds of times. And I said, and in the world I've just come from, it's not a secret. Everybody knows it. The doormen know it. And I said, it makes them into magicians. When they're dealing with general members of the public, it's like they're magicians. They're not people out before they even know they're in a fight. They're so potent because they know the secret. You know, these guys haven't got internet following. They haven't got like a, a follow on the internet. They're not gurus. You know, they're not getting paid 250 pounds an hour to mentor people. You know, they're not doing any of this stuff. They're just guys that stand on the nightclub door and they know the secret. Some of them don't even know they know the secret, but they know how to make it work. And they are, I, I was so potent in what I did, I had to stop doing it because it was too effective. And I started to teach it. I was working in a shitty little nightclub in Coventry, and that truth was so potent that it rippled out across the globe. Um, and I ended, up be, I ended up being invited over to Las Vegas by Chuck Norris twice to teach what I'd learned on a Coventry nightclub um, because it was so potent. It was so potent. Um, and I, so I looked at it and thought, well, if, if, that, if I can find the truth in this one thing, then I must, I must be able to find the truth about other things as well. I must be, I've been told a lie about lots of things. So what's the truth about money? What's the truth about relationships? What's the truth about health? You know, if I want to know, if I'm keen to know, and if I'm keen to do the work and I can do the rigor, it's all available to me. Dojan, the great Buddhist saint Dojan said, everything is available. Everything can be known. But do we want to know it? This is what Christ said to his disciples. He said, do you, do, you, do you think you can drink from this bitter cup? In other words, you know, do you think you can? He wasn't just saying the bitter cup was his, uh, was him going to, I'm going to be crucified tomorrow. So, and his, and his apostles, you know, didn't want to hear it. And he was saying, do you think you could drink from this bitter cup? And they were going, yeah, yeah, we could. Of course we could. And he, he wasn't saying to them, can you handle the crucifixion, Alex? He was saying to them, can you handle the truth? When we, when we remove all of this obscuration, all of this bullshit, can you handle the truth? That's what he was saying to them. Can you handle consciousness? You're a hundred watt bulb. Can you handle a thousand watts? Have you done the preparation? Have you got your body right? Have you got your mind right? Because when that force comes through you, it isn't like a metaphor. It is a fucking fire that goes through your bones. The last time I had it, I thought it was going to kill me. I ran out into the street and I screamed into the sky. It was so raw. It raced through me. It took every bit of my practice and knowledge and my, my ability to surrender to be able to handle it. Can you handle this bitter cup? Can you, can you drink from this bitter cup? I love that. I love that from Christ. He's saying, you know, again, it'd be like someone coming to you. <clears throat> who's never really trained much and, and come to you and said, uh, you know, I want to come in at the top level. I want you to fucking kill me. You know, you'd say to them, well, do you think you could handle that? Because you know they couldn't. You know they couldn't. People used to come to my class when I was training with Matty. And, and uh, I remember one of the top kickboxers <clears throat> in Britain saying, I want to come and spar with Matty and Justin. And I said, no, you don't. And he goes, Jeff, he says, I'm, I'm British champion. He says, I'm, I'm, uh, 
He said, I, I, you know, I've been around the block. I've been around a few corners. I know what I'm talking about. I said, listen, I'm not being unkind. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, you won't handle these guys. I said, you won't deal with them. And he was really offended. And I said, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying you, you haven't got what you need to drink from this bitter cup. Anyway, he came and did some filming for me. And he watched Matty and Justin sparring. And he said to me, I don't fucking ever want to do that. I don't ever want to do that. So can we drink from this bitter cup? Do you want to know the truth? When you start leaning, turning in instead of turning out, this host that you have in you, this guide, your soul, will bring you in in increments. It will give you a bit at a time. It won't give you all at once. Another friend of mine, I hope he doesn't mind me saying it, but he was talking to me about stuff and, and I was talking about cleaning ourselves out and getting rid of the parasites. So we went home. And he was like a senior martial artist, you know. It was a guy I was mentoring. He was like um, a really top guy. And um, he went home and he sat there and he didn't really believe in God and, and, not, and that kind of stuff. And he just said, whatever's in me, rip it out, rip it out, rip it out. Whatever is in me, rip it out. Fucking hell. He was slaughtered. His life, the next day, his life turned upside down. And I love this guy. He was on his knees. He was crying to me every week on the phone. I guided him all the way through it. Um, and, and, he, and he went, this cleansing took him to the world stage. I mean, he's transformed. But fucking hell, I said, oh, you should never have said that. You should never have said, rip it out. I said, it's, you know, you just say, please <laughs> do it out of pace I can cope with. So can you drink from this bitter cup? Do you really want to hear the truth? No. I'm grateful that this stuff has been brought to me by piecemeal a bit at a time. Cause I know I've had moments when it's been so overwhelming. I've not known where to turn, you know, I've, I've had to go into the arc, into the very center, into the eye wall. So coming back to what you said, it's only about working on the self. It's just about working on the self, okay. but it's having the courage to, to be brutally honest about who you are and who you're not. So I'm, I'm glad we touched on the fundamentals because all I teach really is the fundamentals. Basically, yeah. that, that's still what I'm practicing, you know, in my own game. I'm still trying to become really good at these basic things, which served me really well. They've, they've taught me to a really good level. Yeah. Um, do you, so, you know, I'm working with a new guy, for example, Jeff, who, you know, he's a 130 kilograms, so he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Now, I know there's some things that he could just decide to do that would help him get where he wants to get faster. But what I do a lot of is strategy work. So, you know, we'll have a look at what we can do next to put in the next step for him to get where he wants to be. Yeah. Now, what do you think when it comes to decision versus strategy? Do you believe that somebody should just say, I'm on this journey and I want to eat well? Or do you think, no, actually, I'm going to take that one sugar out of my coffee this week and that's me done. That's a step forward. Like, do we make this game harder for ourselves or do we just need to make uh, a more decisive decision and say, I'm, I'm on the healthy train? Well, to be honest with you, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So when I come and work with anybody, I don't know what I'm doing. I remember one, some guy coming to my class once. He said, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you teach today. And I said, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm informed. So if I come and work with you. What, what you need to work on it will be told to me. You know, sometimes I, met, I worked with a guy in London once and I could see about two years down the line where he would be. And I knew there were things I couldn't tell him immediately because it would have frightened him and it would have been too much for him. And he eventually got there on his own. But um, 
So I just do what's presented. I, I, I deal with what's presented to me. Yeah. So if I'm working with somebody, I have, I, my soul is my teacher. So I have an intuition and the intuition will say, will tell me what to tell him, tell me where to go, tell him what to go, what to do. If they get to the point where they stop taking the instruction, I'll stop working with them because there comes a point where people just start to question what you're doing. Um, and, and I don't work with them anymore after that because I can't work with people if they don't take instruction. But, I, but the instruction doesn't come from me. Obviously, I've got a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of understanding from my own practice. But I know that everybody's um, dharma is different and everybody's, um, everybody's map is a little bit different as well. So my job isn't to tell them where, where to go. My job is ultimately is to align them to their own inner guru so that they don't need me. So I don't know where they're meant to go. I only know what I'm informed. So I'm told, uh, get them to do this, get them to look at that, get them to work on that, you know. And normally within half an hour of walking with somebody, they'll tell me what they need to work on. Because when, when, you're in, when you put yourself in the proximity of God, when you're working with somebody, when you put yourself in the proximity of truth or center, as you're walking with people, often what will happen is that proximity is so strong that they say, and do things that they don't know they're saying and doing. So you you get you get access to their thoughts. So they say things and do things that tell you exactly where they are. And you're able to point that out to them. You're able to explain that to them. You know what I mean? That like for instance, I sat with uh, you know, you know, I sat with one guy, I was walking with him, and three times he said to me, I'm not a good father, but when I talked to my son. I just said, so I knew what I said. So I just said to him, why aren't you a good father? What's stopping you from being a good father? And he looked offended. And I said, look, you know, you said it three times. I'm just telling you what you're telling yourself, but you're not hearing it. Why are you not a good father? I said, you know all you need to do to be a good father? Be present with your kid. Be present with them. Switch the phone off. You know, don't pretend you're with them and take calls. Don't pretend you're with them and take emails. Don't even pretend you're on holiday with them while you've got your laptop with you or you're listening to the football results or, or whatever. I said, be present with them. I said, when you're present with them, you will fall outside of chronological time and you will fall into the abstract. Abstract. If you're with them for half an hour, it'll feel like you've been with them. They'll feel as though you've been with them for five hours. So that's just an example. So for another guy I sat with, um, I sat with him uh, in London and uh my proximity was very strong. I centre myself on working with people, and I ask this energy to come through me. And as we were as we were talking, a girl walked past, and he just went, oh, "I'd like to lick her that fucking lick her out, lick her out." And that was a uh, a parasite working through him, a demon working through him. So straight away, if I'm going to work with him, uh, that's what I'm going to deal with straight away. He didn't even know it came out. He did it, and then carried on talking as though nothing had happened as though nothing had happened. He wasn't even consciously aware of it. That's what happens when you're in proximity. Automatically, people say things and do things that tell you what's in them, what needs to be worked on. You know, um, another guy said, came to me and said, um, I'm kind of 95% there. Uh, and when I walked with him, I said at the end, yeah, you're 95% you're not there. I said, you're so far the wrong way 
I said, you're going to fall off the edge anytime soon. I said, I've never seen a man so out of balance. I said, it's, you're in a dangerous, dangerous place. He was in such a dangerous place. It was, wasn't that he wasn't a nice guy, Alex. He was a great guy. Um, and if I worked with him, I'd help him with that. But I know I've worked with people before and it's taken them very close to the edge. You know, all, when you've got parasites inside you, you know, old schemas, old wounds, they fight like fuck to keep their autonomy, to keep their place in you. And that can, you know, if people aren't really balanced and ready for it, it can create a psychosis. It can create all sorts of trouble. So are you, are you able to drink from this bitter cup? This is what the Christ saying. First of all, you've got to get these things out of you. And then secondly, you've got to be able to handle the knowledge that's going to come at you because you're going to look at the world and it's not the world you think it is. You can look at the world and you're going to, you're going to have a, a review of everything you've done wrong in your life because it's just going to be suddenly so plain to you. And you're going to feel ashamed and embarrassed. When I had my first epiphany, I was walking around for two years apologizing to people, you know, heartfelt apologies saying I bullied you and I didn't even know I was doing it. I'm, I apologize. I'm not looking for you to forgive me. I just want you to know that I'm acknowledging that I wasn't kind, you know. I remember ringing my first wife up, I don't know, 10 years after we'd split up and saying, I was nearly crying. I was just saying, I can't believe how unkind I was to you. I could sit down all day long and, and blame her for what happened in my marriage. And, and everyone would say, yeah, she's, she, she deserved it. But I knew, I know what I did. I knew exactly what I did. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I said, I can't believe I treated you. Can you, can you drink from this bitter cup? All that stuff comes out. All of it comes out. I'm excited about that because I, I want to contract. But again, it's no different from what you're doing. You know, people are going to have to get rid of all the shit from their body before they see a physique, aren't they? Yeah. And how, how do you know uh, the difference between uh, an epiphany and psychosis? So I think I think it was even you that says sometimes, you know, when you have these epiphanies, you start to question. One of the, yeah. In fact, one of the first signs of waking up. Yeah start to question your mental state so like how you know when you obviously when you had these you know these epiphanies these images and you know um these visualizations outside of yeah. the body how, how do you start to clarify yeah this is real i'm losing the plot because people will assume that of you won't they when you start yeah. You know, yeah. talking about these things of course yeah um <clears throat> you obviously once you once you're aligned and you connect to your soul so in the in the um uh, the Torah, the Old Testament, it says that your soul will become your teacher. So basically you start to learn from intuition and you start getting direction <clears throat> and your soul will say, read this, speak to this person, you know, watch this interview. It will put you in front of the material that will help to build up your, in, your mind and intellectual body. So your mind and intellectual body is, made, is able to <clears throat> cope with the bitter cup because it understands it more. Because it's going, that's what this is. You've still got the chemicals running around your body and you've still got all the stress hormones and the terror hormones, but you understand what it is because I'm going to give you the knowledge. So the body of knowledge is a protection. It's an armor. <clears throat> so as we get this body of knowledge, we go, oh, that's not a ghost in the corner. You know, that's just uh, a coat and a hat on a hat stand. Um, and it's just, in the, it's just in the shadows. If I switch the light on, it's just a coat and a hat. So we start to... We start to um, understand what it is we're dealing with so as a bouncer <clears throat> if you go on the back if you go on the door um, and you stand on the door especially somewhere like busters on a saturday night 
If you're not ready for that, it's absolutely overwhelming. It's a rush of, you know, I could feel the adrenaline from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. I was, I had, I had terror running through me all night. But once I understood the job, once I understood my endocrine system, once I understood other people, once I understood posturing, once I understood what threat was and what wasn't threat, once I understood how to use my working tools, once I understood how to control my endocrine system, once I understood all those things, that wasn't a threat anymore. You know, that was just normal. You know, someone comes up and says, I'm going to shoot you. And you just say, well, do you want my address? You know, do you want to do it now? You, you know, you're going to step over here and do it, or you're going to do it from over there. You know, I'm going to kill you. Well, what, from over there? You're going to do it from over there? So you start to play with it. You start to understand it. You start to get, you start to use the tools of sound, of touch, of posture, of mudra, you know, like shapes and things. Um, so you, you, you're no longer afraid of it because your body of knowledge, your, your mind has expanded and you understand the territory that you're in. So what's threatening to a normal person and might send them into a nervous breakdown, you cope with every single night of the week. When I was as a, working as a bouncer, I couldn't get adrenaline in the gym, no matter who I was sparring, because it was so easy compared to that. You know, on the door, they didn't care whether you were a tenth down. They didn't care if you were desperate down. They just wanted to, you know, take you on. They wanted to fight you. They wanted to stab you. You know, it was, that was the nature of it. It was, uh, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah and... Pompeii brothel all mixed in together. It was exhilarating and colourful and frightening. And John Anderson would be standing there with his cigarette like nothing was happening. And I'm, you know, I'm trembling like a shitting dog, you know. It was so afraid. But once you once you expand your body of knowledge and you understand it, it's no longer frightening. So to answer your question, as your body of knowledge expands, and it expands mostly through experiencing these things. And then, you know, I read quite a lot of books on Kundalini that said, these are the symptoms. This is what you'll feel like. Other people have come before me and written about what happened to them. And I was able to see that I wasn't going mad and that I needed to keep my center and that these things were ordained. You know, this was the flood and I was Noah. And God was saying to me, build an ark and get into it because everything outside the ark is going to be destroyed. So it was saying, find the center. The ark is the is like the chest. They call it the chest or the um, or the trunk where we go into the very center, you know, like the center of an eye wall. So we sit in the very center of the eye wall and we just observe it, and everything outside is being flushed away. So once I started to, once my own teacher started to place me in front of the right books, the right teachers, the right information, I suddenly understood what it was. So it couldn't frighten me so much because I knew what it was. And when it rushed up, I'd go, I know what that is. I've read about that. I've experienced that before. And if I just sit and observe it, it's temporary. It's impermanent. It's not real. So if I just watch it, if I can sit in the middle of that terror and that threat and just watch it, if I don't engage it, I recognize that it's just a monster of my own projection and it will dissipate and fall back into nothingness. So this is why, why it's really important to build your body of knowledge, to build your discriminating, discerning intellect. It's why it's in very important to build your causal will. It's very, very important to have control of your physical body. You can't begin to work, really, if you, don't, if you can't control the endocrine system because you'll just be flooded with stress hormones all the time. I did a master's degree in the psychology of martial arts just on stress. 
so that I could understand what stress was, how it worked. It doesn't mean I don't feel it, Alex, but I know how to do it. I know how to stop it. I know how to get it out of my body if it comes in. I know how to stop it being caustic to my body. I know how to find a behavioral release for it. I know the breathing techniques to stop adrenaline. I can, although it's, a, although it's an autonomic system, happens automatically. I know how to switch it off manually because of what I've learned. Yeah. And then, of course, I read all these books and do this master's degree, and I think John Anderson taught me that on the door. If I watched yep. closely, he'd be taking a cigarette. That was just his way of hiding his breath. He was using diaphragmatic breathing to control the tremor that had found its way to his knees. He's controlling the tremor in his body. He still felt it. He just mm. didn't look like he felt it. He actually looked like a marble statue with black eyes that didn't move. <laughs> Well, I've had the uh, the privilege of being on the end of one of uh, John's left hooks, famous left hooks, whilst holding yeah. the pad. Not, not obviously on the, not, not obviously yeah. on the chin, but uh, yeah. Not but really. I read something interesting about smoking, and yeah, you know, you know, when you see a smoker and they finally get hold of that cigarette, and it's that big breath in, and it's yeah. that big breath out, and they say it's all to do with breathing itself. That's where. Yeah that's where the pleasure comes from. It's how I've got that deep breath in, I've yeah. got that air in and that air out. So it's interesting. We learn to do it without the cigarettes, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, that, that fresh air that you're inhaling in, unfortunately not. Yeah. So breath is everything. The, the second body is the breath body. So yeah. if you look at Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, you know, uh, that's all to do with uh, supplying the second body with breath, mm. getting control of it. Where I live is part of, is part of me practicing breath. I live in the country. I live in I live in a field, so I'm I'm getting fresh air every single day. So part of me getting control of that the first and the second body is is making sure that the breath I take in every single day is uh, is the best I can get, the best that's available. Jeff, I was doing a little bit of research uh, earlier today, uh, a bit of prep, and I came across this this quote, and I'm, it instantly stood out to me, and I wanted to ask you about it. So it was on your Instagram. Um, page and it says uh, we are so busy trying to make the rent and put bread on the table that few of us make the time to challenge our existence so mm. as soon as i read that i was fascinated and challenged it straight away i was like well we've got bills to pay and we've got things yeah. To pay. so yeah i just wanted to to pick your brains on that how you know why why should we challenge existence more and how do we do that whilst uh not taking our eye off the ball that we yeah we do have bills to pay and we do have yeah. food it's put on the table <clears throat> but we can recognize that if, if we choose to, you know, we don't have to have so many bills to pay. We don't have to have a large footprint. We can live very, very simply. So the adepts, all the adepts always, when they got to that certain stage, when they were in from the animal realm into the human realm, they always reduce their, their physical and physical footprint so that they haven't got to concern themselves with tax and with bills and with, you know, uh, with holidays twice a year abroad or whatever and own a car they don't have to do that what i've done in my own life is i've reduced my my need to make any money at all i just need a certain amount just to take over and at some point i won't need that either so you, you the the more concerned you are with uh having to make bills and and make the rent and all the rest of it the more concerned you are with all of those things the less time you can invest in inquiring about why we're here, what our purpose is, what is it that I'm here to actually do. So most people don't do that because they think it's not available to them. Um, I, I remember working with probably 20 CEOs. My friend ran a company with lots of satellite companies. 
was a massive kind of um, 70 million pound company. And I was med- mentoring all these CEOs and they were all an- incredible people, incredibly inspiring people. But everyone I spoke to, none of them realized that they didn't have to do that if they didn't want to. They all said the same thing. Well, what about the bills? What about, you know, what about my holiday? What about my car? And I said, well, you know, I'll probably use my car once a week. Um, and at some point, I probably won't do that. You know, so you reduce the need to um, make money so that you can concentrate all of your time, all of your time on development and inquiry, all of it. So that's really what it is. And again, in the world where we come from, that might sound unusual, but in the esoteric realms, that's just standard. They call it the home lever. It's kind of saying you have to leave home. You know, you have to get rid of all of those concerns so that you can concentrate completely on the study. So you even if even if you don't reduce it completely, you reduce it as much as you can so that, yeah. you know, I don't have a loan on the car. I don't have a loan on the house. I don't um, have any loans on anything. You know, yeah. um, and my living is really simple. I'll have one coffee a day, which I enjoy. Um, you know, my food is very simple. I'm just I just want to study. I just want to learn. And I want to pass on what I've learned to other people. That's a choice. And people will say, you know, I've got a family and I've got all, all of this kind of thing. Well, look, they're talking about what they've got. I'm talking about reducing things so that, um, you know, I, I, did, it, I, I did it by um, uh, working very hard and, and earning enough money to be able to sell everything I've got and just buy a small place uh, with no mortgage. So that I can do that was what I was called to do. That was what I was asked to do. So I could just concentrate on what we do now, this study. And that, you know, you can imagine, you imagine when I was, when I was like um, uh, working in a factory and doing a normal job um, and I was a martial artist, I was just a good club, club player, really. Um, once I understood, you know, what I used to look at the, my seniors and think, why are they? so much better than everybody else they're better than all of us they're better than me and everybody instead they're, they're like leagues above and then they realized i didn't realize for years later but they didn't work you know their job was their training that's all they did and they trained with high level instruction and that their whole day was dedicated just to training when i gave up my job in the factory and started to train full time my level went like that through the ceiling i mean through the ceiling nobody could cope with me and it wasn't, you know, I'm not saying I was a great guy and, you know, I was fantastic. I'm just saying that I was training. They were working eight hours a day. I was training eight hours a day. I was training three sessions a day with world-class people. My level went through the fucking ceiling. Mm. It went right through the ceiling. I was training in everything. I was writing about it. I had the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. In other words, I was, I was the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha is the, the teacher, the teaching and the environment. So I was, I was, I had great teachers um, I had great lessons and I had, and I was in an environment of, you know, I was in the proximity of elite players. It was all I did. It was all I spoke about. It was all I wrote about. So that's what you call entanglement. That's full entanglement. That's uh, going from a binary life, which is just like me and the work and me and the home life to a, a quantum life, which is I'm going to invest myself so heavily in this thing that I'm going to be completely entangled. You won't be able to tell the difference between what I'm doing and what I am. My whole life is invested just in what we're talking about now. When I did that with the martial arts, I went through the ceiling. I had black belts in everything. 
you know, I, they had, people had to give me black belts because within a couple of months I was better than them because I was like the teachers because I was just training so hard and so diligently. And, the, you know, spiritually asks the same. It's not, it isn't just about doing the training because I knew guys who would have been training for 30 years, but they, they hadn't improved since, you know, they hadn't improved in the last 20 of those years. They were just ticking over. Whereas for me, I always put myself in the bottom of someone else's class. I was never always at the top. The moment I got to the top of someone's class, I put myself at the bottom of someone else's. How am I going to grow otherwise? It's, it's really exciting. So spiritually, it's exactly the same. The information, the teachers, the knowledge is out there. But can you drink from that bitter cup? Same mm. thing. Can you? Can you? Can you go through that? And can you, can you remove what needs to be removed? Can you handle what's going to come? And that's the question we all have to ask ourselves. That's that's worth getting up in the morning for, though, isn't it? That's the level of inquiry we're talking about. Yeah, well, my life's changed a little bit since we met and had that coffee and in Stratford when, you know, you said something to me that, that really kind of hit home and you said, you know, an elite soldier, Alex, when they when they go to war, they only take what is essential, nothing yeah. else. You know, nothing can weigh them down. And, you know, that's why I wanted to meet you. I was stuck on that point. And uh, just, just like my life's become a lot easier since I've had less in it. So doing really practical and simple things like putting a clothes ban on for 12, 12 months, I don't need no more clothes, Jeff. So yeah. I threw a load of shit out. <laughs> Just things like that. My house is starting to come more. Yeah. And there's actually room for storage now, whereas before in my cupboards, everything. So there's little things like that where I'm saying, right, for 12 months, no more of this, yeah. no more of that. Let's get rid of this. Let's make some space here. And I never really would have understood what you were saying until I went and did it. And yeah. now, yeah, I'm more time to do great things. I have now a Thursday with my mom and dad, like, you know, when everyone else is working and there's just – nice things to do and it you know, like you say it leaves you with more space to do the things that and that's want. a choice it's a choice it's a choice for everybody it's a choice no matter where they are no matter what they're doing <clears throat> you know but it's um you know obviously we make those choices and there are people around us as well but that's a choice we can make we might not be able to do it this second but we can start working towards it it took me five years to close mm -hmm. everything down and put myself in a field in stratford so i could just live a yeah. monastic life it took me five years just to just to close stuff down and, and lots of difficulty in that letting go of stuff and understanding why i was letting go of stuff <clears throat> that's why it's really important to study to expand the intellect and to go beyond the entry-level books because most of the entry-level books are still selling the spirituality as as a way of making more money as a way of mm. you know as a way of leaving a legacy and that's okay that's you know that's that's a level isn't it you know, it's like when I remember my friend told me this story once. I loved it. He said they went to train with this. I went to see this golf pro, <clears throat> and he said, "Can you help me with the swing?" He says, "Yeah, of course, yeah." And he said, "So he said, show me your swing." He said, "So I showed him my drive," and he says, "Yeah." He said, "Fucking really good. That is a, an excellent drive. An excellent drive. I've nothing to say really." And he said, "Oh, that's good." He says, "Because I want to be a pro." He says, "You want to be a pro?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, get me a pad." Suddenly, this big fucking list came out of all the things he needed to work on. I love that because it's gone and say, well, what, you know, you, if you, if you just want to drive on a Sunday morning, that's really yeah. good. But if you want to be a pro, you want to play off scratch, then um, that's a different thing, you know? So it's that thing, you know, what do you want? How much do you want? Um, so the under, understanding this stuff is about doing the rigor. It's not just about looking at the, the entry level books. Those entry level books have got the arcana, but they're really exciting you to go deeper. 
to go into the more esoteric books. So I went from the entry-level books, <clears throat> which in the end, you know, they were like, it was like, like getting a spark off a stone. You know, it was nice to get a bit of light, but at some point you want to build a fire. So I started to say, well, this isn't doing it for me anymore. <clears throat> so I started to go deeper. I started to look at the more challenging books. I started to look at books I didn't understand. I started to put myself in front of teachers who uh, were so far ahead of me that uh, it was embarrassing, you know. Um, I did this with the martial arts as well. So, you know, you just start to go deeper and deeper and then and your inner tutor will take you won't take you everywhere it'll just take you to where you need to be it'll say this is jeff this is where he is this is what he's got this is what he wants to do this is his level of capability at this moment uh, these are the books he needs to read and then it's my job to discipline myself to activate my causal will my causal body and sit down and read a book or a series of books that might it might take me three or four months to read them as a full-time read and then make notes as I go, like, like I'm doing a university course, and then cope with the knowledge that it brings up, because sometimes you read stuff uh, and it's just jarring. It's just jarring. You know, I remember reading Gurdjieff on a cruise around uh, um, the Caribbean and was so angry at what he said. It took me, it was like 1,500 pages or something, or 1,200 pages. It was a big book, and at the beginning, Gurdjieff said, I'm going to make this difficult for you. I'm, going to, I'm not going to write in the way that's comfortable. I'm going to write in a way that's so jarring. You will be startled. You won't want to get through this. You probably won't get through it. And I got through it and it was, it was all esoteric. It was very difficult. It was, the way it was written was really jarring. And then I, I didn't get what I needed until the very, very end, the last few pages. Um, and he just said, you think, you man of the world, he said, you think you're somebody, you think you've done something, you think you're in a good position, he said, but just the wrong email or the wrong letter or the wrong phone call can send your endocrine system out of control like that, he said. And then one fawning phone call telling you that you're great and you're falling over yourself, he said, you've got no control of yourself. And I was just so angry because he was so right. And I just thought, fucking, I thought I was, I thought I was doing well and I just realised what a what a beginner I was and he's been my greatest teacher Gurdjieff because he's so jarring um he, he did a system called the fourth way and he talks a lot about the work you'd love him actually because he's like this is about the work he would set up an environment um where people would come and stay with him you know at, at a castle or at a, a big state yeah, and he'd rent it for a year and he'd have maybe 40 50 people there for a year and he would create an environment that drew out their negatives he drew out all of their false egos, all of their false personalities, and he would bring people in to antagonize, to antagonize them. Not to de deliberately do it, but he would, he would bring people in and pay them just to live there because they were natural antagonists. They would really wind people up and it would draw things out of people unconsciously. And he would say to them, okay, just look at what you drew it out. I don't want you to try and get rid of it. I don't want you to try and fix it. I just want you to look at it. Just look at it. It was only by drawing these negatives out and, event and not feeding them. So eventually this antagonist wouldn't be able to antagonize them because they just wouldn't bite anymore. They just wouldn't engage it. And once they could do that, that part of them was healed. But a fantastic teacher. So it's, um, and that's what my masterclasses were, my black belt course. It wasn't really about grades or anything like that. It was about setting up an environment that I knew over the space of six months would draw out people's shadows. 
Um, and the people that have said, I'm here for six months or 12 months, and everything is booked into my diary, within three or four months, we're coming late, leaving early, not coming at all. And the, the excuses they made, um, um, you know, um, and, the, and the obstacles that put in their way, um, and obviously a lot of them tried to blame me, it was my fault. Um, for whatever reason, but I know I used to say to them, "Listen, are we all set for these dates? Yeah, is there anybody that can't make these dates? No." I said, "So at the end of twelve months, you're all going to have done all twelve dates." I said, "So what I'm going to tell you now is that in the next twelve months, everything is going to try and stop you from being here." I said, "Your job is to recognise that and make sure you're here, make sure you turn up." And then next session, someone would say, oh, John and Pete couldn't make it because this happened and their cat fell off the roof. And I go, listen, stop, stop. I said, did we all agree at the beginning that we could all make the 12 days? Yeah. So stop fucking talking about the people that didn't get here. They didn't get here. They're not here. Don't make excuses for them. There are no excuses. I don't care if your leg fell off. You're either here or you're not. That's it. I said, I told you at the beginning, things will try and stop you. You'll try and blame me. You'll blame the universe, you'll blame the traffic, but you didn't get here. Either you're in the room or you're not in the room. So same thing, the environment creates its own egregore, and the egregore will look at these 20 or 30 or 40 bodies, and it will draw out all of their negatives, all of them. But it will also highlight their strengths. It will show them where they're strong, you know. So it's... um, I forgot what the question was, but I've probably covered that in about 20 other things. You have, Joe. You've covered a lot. It, it it leads me on to the next quote, which I think just ties in perfectly just to finish the, the subject that we're talking about. It says, privilege can disable just as restriction can help you fly. And I think that you've just summed that up perfectly. I thought that was a yeah. fantastic quote that, that jumped out. What I've really gained the benefit of you teaching me that this more of a you know minimalist approach is the, the mental... It's very space. zen. If you look at zen, it's zen. Yeah. It's just that if, if you come, have come to my house... Um, you'll see it's sparse, it's quiet, yeah. there's no pictures up. It's just very zen. It's very, People struggle to sit in our house. People come here and fall asleep or, or they're not comfortable because it's still. There is a stillness here. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just how love. I give all my pictures. I had a lot of very expensive pictures that people have given me as gifts. Um, and I just give them all away because I just, I just wanted stillness here. I wanted quiet. I don't want distraction. So it's uh, sorry I interrupted, but but you're, what you're talking about the simpleness is if you look at Zen Buddhism, it's about simplicity. While we're grasping for things, uh, while we're grasping for the things we need, or grasping to get rid of the things we don't want, we're always going to be in pain. We're always going to be in discomfort. So it's about removing those things, and to remove them, you need more information. So the Buddha says that there are no problems. There is only the only problem is thinking there's a problem, but there is a clear view. So we have to remove the things that block the clear view. That's what it's all about. And when you do that, lots of energies, lots of um, things and beings and will try to stop you. The Buddha was assailed by demons before his enlightenment. You know, um, and he said, he said he centered himself so much, he sat in the center so much that the arrows they fired at him became flowers. This is the same with um, I can't remember his name. I'll come to him in a minute. But it's another teacher that I love. Um, they said he developed his center so powerfully. His center was so strong that he was uh, it was in his 
um, was in his room in his uh, satsang at, at Pandicherry in uh, India, and there was a hurricane outside, and everything was moved by it. But his room, not just him, but his room didn't shift, not even a book fell off the shelf. His assistant came in and nothing was shifted. His, his center was so strong that it have physically affected the world around him. So that's what we're looking at. So if you look at a guy that's squatting, I don't know, say you've got a guy that can squat seven plates, you know, he's like a world champion. Um, and, you know, this power, you see this power, that's the power. That's what we need in our center. That's what we need to create. And that's the ability to hold our attention in any place we want to hold it, holding it right in the center. So we may be assailed by stress hormones, by fear hormones, by threat, but you're able to hold your attention in the center, even though everything is trying to rip it out. The door taught me that. As a doorman, you've got people threatening to kill you, people threatening to maim you, people threatening to find out where you live, people wanting to fight you. You've got seduction as well, you know, with the, the amount of seduction in those kind of places. And it's about you being able to hold your center not just while you're on the door, but when you go home at night, you know, when you have your breakfast in the morning, when you're having sex with your wife, because these energies, these energies, these threats are trying to infiltrate all the time and destroy your center. And if the eye wall breaks, of course, you're part of the hurricane. And I've watched that a lot of times. I watched a lot of my friends on the door lose their center and become part of the chaos and they can't work anymore. They just can't work. So it's just this one thing we said before about practicing, working on yourself, working on the center, but also making things simple. The more, sim the more simple you make things, the more your consciousness is able to grow. The more your consciousness is able to grow, the less rules you're under. You imagine when you've got three mortgages and you've got a big business, how many laws and rules that you're under, how many responsibilities, how many things that you have to do in your, just before you get up for breakfast in the morning. As you simplify that, all of those rules and those restrictions disappear. So the less, the higher our consciousness, the less rules we have to live under. So I don't live under the same rules as everybody else because I've got rid of, I've got rid of the grasping and I've got rid of all that need just by, you know, just by taking, a, just just by simplifying my life. But again, it, I'm saying that that it wasn't easy, and I had a good partner who was up for that. You know, she was keen to do that. And um, it, like I said, the last stage, just the last stage of it took me five years. But that came to me as an instruction. It came to me as an instruction and I followed the instruction um, and I ended up, you know, in a place where it's just still. You go out, you come out my door at night, it is still. It is so still. It is quiet and the air is different, you know. Jeff, I promised you at the start of this interview i won't keep you longer than 90 minutes so i just want to finish with uh, asking you about your inspiration for your next i'm book. keeping you longer than 90 minutes that's the problem so what was your inspiration behind your next book and then what are do, do you set goals going from there do you have targets or do you just wait to see what what strikes you and what you want to do next i feel as though I, i'm taking instruction all the time i get instruction from my intuition and i was talking to people about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness and, and forgiveness as in uh, as, as a method of removing parasites, as a method of re removing resentments and receive, re removing things that feed off us, you know, anger, lust, resentment, you know, wound, you know, grudge, all of these things. And I'd done that in my life and I'd learned the power of the power of forgiveness. 
and I understood it, but I couldn't articulate it to people. And I wanted to be able to pass it on to people and say to them, look, this is what forgiveness really is. It isn't about letting people off. It's about forgiving something from your mind. It's about removing a resentment or an anger or a fear from your mind. That's what it's about. That's what it's doing. It's about recognizing that you are possessed by a resentment. It's a semi-autonomous thought form, and you are going to remove it from your body and give it over to reciprocity. I said, I want to explain that to people so that they can understand because they don't know the power of it. Um, so I went into a meditation and I just spoke to my soul and I said, look, you know, I don't really, I can't really articulate this. I said, I'm trying to talk to people and they're not getting it. I said, I just need to understand it more. I've done it, but I don't really fully understand my own experience. So it was a, very shortly after that, I just had this intuition in my mind, just said, okay, sit down and write. It said, sit down and write 13 reasons to forget, 13 reasons to forgive. And the 13, the 13 reasons was based on the 13 precepts of Maimonides. And Maimonides was like a, a Jewish intellectual, a Jewish kind of rabbi. And Maimonides um, wrote 13 precepts of forgiveness. You know, and it was a, I really loved Maimonides. So I thought that was what that was the start of it. And as I was started to write this book, it just came to me what I needed to write. I was running one day and this voice said, 99 reasons to forgive. Change the title. So I thought, oh, 99 reasons to forgive. I know what that is. It's the 99 names of Allah. In the Quran, Allah has 99 different names. And these names are attributes. They're, they're, at, they're like non-local powers, so like the ability to forgive, the ability, uh, the, 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 power of, the power of compassion, you know, the power of kindness. These are all attributes, and each of these attributes of Allah or God contain all of God. So they're non-local powers. They're like antigens that you can put in your body to, to get rid of parasites. It's a very didactic and pragmatic thing. So I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll do that. Anyway, so then I got, as I was writing, I got introduced uh, through my intuition to this rabbi online and uh, he did 110 hours of lecture just on forgiveness and repentance from the tanya from a book called the tanya which is one of the um auxiliary books to the old testament so i listened to 110 hours of lecture on uh, forgiveness and repentance and the difference um i wrote this book most of which i didn't know and it was complicated because you can't just say this is what forgiveness is. You have, to, you have to explain causation. You have to explain how people don't get away with things, that reciprocity will take care of it and settle its own debts. You have to, you have, people have to believe in causation before they can believe in forgiveness. So I've ended up doing a book called 99 Reasons to Forgive, which I'm looking for a publisher for at the moment. And it's, um, But it was a lesson to me because what came through me uh, I didn't know. I didn't know this stuff. Now I know it because I'm polishing it now. I must have gone through it 50 times. I'm talking about it. So I, I, I fully understand and I fully know what forgiveness is. And I'm trying to simplify it and put it in a language and say to people, what you're doing is you're freeing yourself from the caustic nature of resentment. While you hold on to it, you are entangled with the person and you're bonded to them. And even if you're not even if you're separated by thousands of miles, even if you're separated by death, you're, he's, you are feeding him. 
you're, it's like a it's like a, a direct debit that he takes off you because every time you think about him and you get an arousal of anger or fear or dissonance or wound it just basically feeds off your essential energies and it takes it takes over the causal will so it takes over your autonomy it's like when i, I was abused and i stole my autonomy and i ended up doing things in the world that i would never have done if i hadn't got this parasite in me i was violent hugely violent as a byproduct because i thought that everybody was going to abuse me so i just batted anybody that came within proximity and thought i was doing a good job so it's it's enabled me to write a book so what if i really want to understand something because i'm not able to articulate it to somebody i just say to god um, can you help me with this? I just need to understand this. And you, and then the information I, I get will come to me. But then my part of that covenant, that bargain, is that I have to share it with people. If I don't share it with people, it becomes it becomes um, caustic in my own body because I've brought energy in that's not meant to be there. I'm meant to just be a vessel to move it on. It also means I've got to sit and do the work. I've got to sit and do – to sit and write a book is – uncomfortable it's painful because it's again it's the sacrifice of your body and blood when we talk about christ when he says this is my body this is my blood you know when you go to when you go to communion you eat the body and drink the blood of christ it's a, it's a symbolic thing but it's basically what you're doing is you're you are uh, using your body and blood to create a piece of work that's going to go out into the world and help people because you have to physically sacrifice yourself in order to sit down for however many hours it is and then to go out and talk about it like when i did the divine ceo it isn't just about six weeks of sitting down and, and the sacrifice of using energy to write a book it's the you know the 50 or 60 or 70 interviews you do with very discerning people trying to explain what it is you've written you know that that is a this this exercise we're doing now is a sacrifice of my body and my blood, what I know in my body, my blood is being used up in the volition of this work now. And it's massively demanding. It's very tiring. Before I sit and talk with you, I have to go through a process to get myself ready because I'm the vessel for this stuff. You know, and I have to get myself aligned. I have to remove the five bodies, the veils, and expose my soul so it can come out. And then after this, I have to close those bodies back down again so that the soul is protected. I'm probably saying a lot more than I need to say, but what I'm saying is that um, I ask you know, I ask for something I need to give to somebody else, and it always comes to me. If I'm asking for somebody else and it's genuine, it always comes to me. And then I sit down and I do the work, and then I put it out into the world, and then I go and talk to people and qualify what it is I've written about. And of course, once you've written it 50 times and you've, you know, you've gone over it and over it again to polish it, you do know it by that time, you know, you understand it. Jeff, you, uh, you get better every time we speak, my friend. You're incredible. My brain is fried. I am also, <laughs> I always leave our conversations just, wow, just, just feeling like, wow. And I got a lot of messages off the guys who, you know, you were kind enough to speak to some of the guys inside of the group. Yeah. And they, the word emotional they all felt emotional after hearing you speak how you did it was just an incredible uh incredible experience for us all so th thank you and thank you so much for dedicating your time tonight i know you get a lot of podcast requests you do a lot of podcasts so the fact that you're here for a second time um i'm very very grateful That's and a people, pleasure. thank you 
a lot of people have listened to, to our last conversation. So, so yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's a pleasure, Alex. It's always good to speak to you. Mr. Jeff Thompson, you're the man. Take care, my friend. Bye. <laughs> thank you. See you later. Woo.